That's right. So Jesus is our gift. The Bible tells us we're doing discipleship, and so we're talking this longer series on discipleship. I had a lot of questions last week uh, that I'm hopefully going to answer through this one. I just kind of a little bit of a part two of last week. The Bible says this: "This is a faithful saying and worthy and trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners." So, if we got to understand why Jesus came. We have to understand sin. Sin's not always a pleasant topic, but what sin actually helps you do, if you can understand you, you can make better choices. If you can understand you, you can have better acceptance and self-acceptance of yourself. And you can understand why the world is the way the world is. We have to understand sin. To a Christian, uh, sin provides us with the basic worldview. It gives us the view of the world. Everybody has a worldview. The kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, has a worldview that shows us that the world is the way that it is because of this. Sinful people doing sinful things. Sinful people in power and in positions over sinful systems. And so everything that is wrong, the evil that is in the world, is not a result of God's will or God's intention. The evil that is in the world is a result of sin. So we have to understand this. We have to understand this as far as as human relationships. We have to understand sin as as far as it relates to God. The value and the basis of the virgin birth. Why why was Jesus born of a virgin? Because of sin. It reveals the reason why Jesus' blood was shed. Why did he have to shed blood? Because of sin. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Because of sin. What's the deal with the resurrection? Because of sin. The understanding of sin is basically the foundation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of what? Sin righteousness and judgment we're to understand sin and we should understand the brokenness of humanity and one of the things that we should understand too is the value of understanding human behavior so that we can actually correct and have healthy relationships with one another a lot of times there's a breakdown of healthy relationships among the christian because we don't understand sinful behavior We don't understand what's actually going on with us and what that actually is and why it's wrong. Albert Einstein said this, The universe reveals an intelligence of of such superiority that it overshadows all human intelligence. What he's saying is, is that when I look at the universe, it is very clear that the universe has an intelligent design to it. And so Einstein would accept, he actually was ridiculed by his contemporaries and is still ridiculed because he rejected the idea of the Big Bang, right? Was the Big Bang true? Yeah, God said, let it be, and bang it was. That's pretty much the the Big Bang. But he rejected it. He said the universe didn't come from nothing. He saw cause and effect. He saw that order doesn't come from disorder. And so he says, if there is order, then there must be an orderly mind behind it. If there is a design, then there must be an intelligent designer behind it. Because of the order and the design that he saw, he said, whatever, whatever, whoever made this is superior to human, to human ability. This didn't come from human nature. But Einstein rejected the idea of a personal God. And his hang-up with a personal God was he did not have a context for evil. He couldn't understand evil in the light of all of the good that was. So he said, how can God be personal and loving if he's giving both good and evil? How is that possible? 
And so he adopted more of like a, a deist theory, which is God is just that the, the designer of the universe just released everything and it became what it was. So he accepted the fact that there was a creator, but he denied the fact that there was ever anything as a personal God. But his biggest hang up was he didn't understand evil, even though he was a Jew. Right. So he had the Old Testament. He had Hebrew teaching. He, he could have he could have. But he rejected even he even rejected that as well. The problem is, is that he didn't have a map for evil. Most people struggle. If God's so good, why is there evil in the world? Extremely common question. One of the most common questions people ask. If God's good, why is there starvation? If God's a God of love, why are people dying in, in Africa? Why are people starving? Why is this happening? Why is there famines over here and all of these pestilences? Well, the reason they ask that question is because they don't understand evil. And they don't understand sin. So the Bible tells us where it comes from. It comes from sin nature. Human beings, fallen human beings, with a nature of sin, doing sinful things to one another, creating systems. See, every system in the earth, it no, doesn't matter what government it is, doesn't matter what system it is, there are evil people in charge of these governments. Sinners. <laughs> Sinners are in charge of these things. And that's why there seems to be no justice and there seems to be no equality. We have sinful judges. We have sinful politicians. We have sinful city commissioners, sinful administrators. So when we put our hope in these systems, our hope inevitably will fail us. I'm not saying these systems aren't necessary. The systems are necessary. But those systems are going to be imperfect at best. There's going to be prejudices. There's going to be wickedness. There's going to be self-interest. There's going to be bribery. There's going to be all kinds of things that go on there because the people that are in charge of it are corrupt. I don't, I don't assume people are good by nature. So I tell my wife all the time. She's like, that doesn't freak you out that that happened? I'm like, no, not at all. I said, I don't expect people to be good. I know people are inherently evil. The humanists say we're, we're, we're just all good people. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says you were created perfect, but you have fallen into a helpless, and ho- in a helpless and hopeless state. And that you need salvation, and you need redemption, and you need forgiveness, and you need restoration. We're all sinners, but in Christ we're sons and daughters. So what I was is not who I am. Right? That's important to understand. If you're a believer, you're no longer a sinner, and you should no longer see yourself as that. You're a son and a daughter who does sin, but you're not, your, your identity is not that of a sinner. Your identity is, is, is that of a son and a daughter. That's, that's, the, that's the point. Evil is inherent to human nature because of sin. We're capable of anything. Right? Human beings are capable of anything. Evil. Jesus, come on, Jesus is not responsible for evil. His creatures are. Evil did not begin with God. Sin did not originate with God. We have churches that teach such nonsense and they teach this philosophy. And my question is always, who told you that? Because the Bible doesn't say that. God does not give good and evil. God gives only good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation, in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from the Lord. Real simple. Bible never tells us that God is the author of evil. Never. Never. He uses and judges certain situations, but he doesn't bring about evil. That's not what he does. The cornerstone of all Christian thinking, the 
fulfillment of all kingdom thinking is the goodness of God. This is where, as a believer, you've got to get your mind right. The Bible tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the way that we think and the paradigms by which we think from are extremely important. And the cornerstone of all of our thinking has to come from the goodness of God. If it doesn't line up with God's goodness, then your thinking is wrong. It just is. Jesus is perfect theology. I tell this to people all the time. Like, well, God gave me that sickness. Well, who told you that? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many sicknesses did Jesus give to people? None. How many storms did he send? None. That's amazing. Like, he's in the middle of a storm. He didn't go, hey, guys, I just want to watch me. One of you guys want to watch me redirect this? No. Nineveh's getting on my nerves. I want to send a storm off to Nineveh. It's been bothering me. It's been kind of irritating me a little bit. Oh, yeah, Canaan, Cana, Cana, or um, Tyre and Sidon rejected me. I think I'm going to send the storm up that way. You know, he didn't do any of that. Jesus is perfect theology. Anything that we believe about God that is not found in the person of Jesus, our thinking is wrong and it needs to be corrected. Anything that doesn't line up with God's goodness needs to be corrected. Then why does it happen? Well, it's because of sin. Good God, bad devil. Sinful people doing sinful things. Sinful system, sinful sin, sin. Sin is the ultimate result of all evil. It is. And the devil is the, is the one from where sin began. This is a big concept too. Sin didn't begin in this world. Sin is a big mystery to people. Huge. We deny it because we can't find the source of sin in any world, in any place in this world. The only place we can find sin is in us, if we're actually acknowledging. The reason is, is that sin began in the eternal realm. Sin came into the world. Sin did not begin in time and space. If you understand spiritual theology, which is what I'm giving you, and this again, this is a higher level of teaching. This, I'm, not giving you, I'm not giving you jelly bellies this morning. I want you to understand this. That God, God created eternity. This is how big God is. He is not even, he did not even come from eternity. He created eternity. So he creates eternity. He steps into eternity and he populates eternity with, with heavenly beings. Then he creates another world, time and space, and he creates the earth within time and space. And he begins to populate the earth with beings. The Bible speaks of three heavens. Anybody ever heard of that? Paul was caught up to the what? Third heaven. Right? Originally there were two. Heaven and earth were one. When Christ returns, there's going to be two. The middle heaven was because of the separation that happened. The separation that happened between heaven and earth caused the, caused, created another realm, the, third, the second heaven. The Bible tells us this. This is the heaven we live in. The atmosphere is the first heaven. The second heaven is the heaven in between. That's the one that was part of the terror, the separation. That's where the principalities, powers, mights, and dominions exist. The ruling authorities of the demonic realm exist in that world. There's activated presence on the earth, but the ruling authorities do not exist in the third heaven, and the ruling authorities of the demonic realm do not exist on the earth. Their minions do, but the ruling authorities are in heavenly places. You guys ever heard that? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, mights, and many spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy exists. That, that's where the ruling authority of the demonic realm exists in that second realm. The enemy fell. So that exists from the, from, the, from the separation. Sin caused that separation. How do we know? The Bible tells us. It tells us so. Heaven and earth were one. Angels God, everybody, mankind was interacting with the heavenly realm. The two worlds were one. They were interacting with one another. 
Sin begins in the eternal realm. Sin begins with a fallen angel, an angel named Lucifer. Lucifer, Bible tells us very clearly who he is, tells us he was a created being. So Lucifer isn't God. He's not, it's not God and, and, and Lucifer in this eternal death match. No, it's God and a created ant called Lucifer. He's a created being. Nowhere near equal. The Bible says that Lucifer had unprecedented access. He walked in the fiery stones. He was in the midst. He was the covering cherub. He had unprecedented access to the Father. And Jesus, the Bible tells us Isaiah that he was perfect in all his ways until sin was found in him. So sin, the Bible tells us where sin came from. It came from this angel Lucifer. And what he did is he stepped out of his domain. God creates it and Lucifer stepped into the void. He stepped into emptiness. He stepped away from God and into emptiness. That's what sin ultimately is, is sin is a void. And you're going to know sin is an action. No, the action is the product of the sin. The sin, the product that is coming out of the sin is a result of the emptiness within. There's an emptiness. There's a void. That void, you're hungry for something. You're medicating for something. You're needing something. There's a void within you that is causing that action. Sin, the outward sin, is never, that's just the product. The issue is the void. It's what's missing in you. Lack of love, lack of affirmation, lack of healing, hurts, wounds. It's always out of the void. Sin begins with Lucifer. Lucifer steps into the void. The problem with Lucifer was, is he stepped into the void and he liked it. He enjoyed it. He liked being apart from God. Why? Because God gave, God gave creatures free moral agents. There are people on the earth today that don't want a Jesus. It stuns me. I talk to people who can articulate the gospel back to me, and then yet they'll say, I, I'm not really interested in it. I just had a guy tell me, I know if I, don't, I, know if I die today, I'm lost. He goes, I know. But he said, I'm, just, I just, I'm not really interested. <laughs> I told my wife that story. She's like, he said that? I was like, yeah, he said that to me. <laughs> Why? Just like Lucifer. He stepped into the void. He liked it. He liked the absence of God. He liked being apart from God. And what Lucifer began to do is he began to entice other angels and they all stepped into the void. They created a rebellion against God and they fell. When, when Lucifer fell to the earth, what did he do? He talked to Adam and Eve to step into the void. Step away from God. Push God away. Move away from God. Be your own God. Step into the void. Problem was, he said, you'll be like God. The problem was, they were already like God. This is a big thing. Our ancestors, our forefathers, didn't know who they were. They didn't even understand. This is what happens. We step into the voids of life. We step into the voids of all of these things because we don't know who we are. We don't know what is already ours. Ignorant of what has already been given to us. Ignorant about who we already are. And so we step into these voids. And he got Adam and Eve to step into the void. And when Adam and Eve stepped into the void, they rejected their father. That's why when you come back to Christ, one of the first things he does is he introduces you to the father. What's the Lord's prayer? Somebody say it. That's right, our father. The introduction of the relationship is back to the father. We're called children of God. We're called sons and daughters. To those who received him, he gave the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. Not everybody has that right. Only those in Christ have that right. That's it. Nope, we're not all God's children. That offends the masses. We're all God's children. No, we're not. Christian theology does not teach that at all. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. 
They're God's creation. They're not God's children. You are. You're sons and daughters. You have full rights of inheritance. Adopted with full rights. Spirit of adoption resides. You belong to Him now and eternally in Christ. So we're reintroduced to our Father and we're restored to our position as sons and daughters. But sin didn't begin in this world. It came from another world. So crazy, right? And salvation came from another world. So sin began in the eternal realm. God created this eternal realm, which tells us that there's possibilities or there's potentials for things in that world, things to come from something that, that don't exist in our world. Lucifer had this ability to, 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 to give birth to something or to, to receive something or to step into this void, this absence that we don't have that ability to. So Lucifer stepped into the void. That's what sin is. Sin is an emptiness. Say this. My sinful behavior is a result of some area of emptiness or void. Yeah. Talk to people all the time. Human behavior doesn't, doesn't surprise me. I'm always looking for the void. Where's the gap? Where is it? Is that a guy talking to me about fear? Why do I act in fear all the time? I said, because you have a void in you. You don't know that you're loved. You, you know you're loved, but you don't know you're loved. Perfect love casts out fear. So if fear resides in you and you're pound by fear all the time, it's because there's a wound in you that is transmitting to you that you don't know you're loved. It's plain and simple. The void, that's not a sin you committed. That's probably a sin that's been committed against you. Or it's the residual effect of an impact of a sin somewhere in your line, somewhere in your family. It's always, it's always the, the deal is always sin. It's always, it's always, and it's always the emptiness. It's not the branches. It's not the, the fear is not the issue. The void is the issue. You understand that? The smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing isn't the issue. The issue is the emptiness, the void. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you have. You don't know what are yours. Or Christians, because here's what the church does, and we do this, we should do this because this is correct, is we teach cognitive knowledge. And we should teach cognitive knowledge. In other words, it's stuff that you can recite, stuff that we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. But the problem is, and then we always say, well, we got to get the word to drop here down into the heart. Well, the word will never drop here down into the heart if there's a wound in the way. It just isn't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. And you say, I don't believe that. Well, good luck. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it's not going to happen. I can save you a lot of time. So sin produces death. Next slide. Sin didn't begin in this world. That's a really important thing to understand. It really is. Sin didn't come from you. It came from the devil. and was transmuted to your ancestor, Adam. And so we all have inherited sin. So but, but this is really clear to understand too. God did not create sin. Sin, this is the message we heard from the beginning, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Sin does not come from the Lord. God never created it. God doesn't give it. God cannot tempt anyone with evil, neither does He tempt any man. All that is in the world, this is the categories of evil, the selfish desire of the flesh, that's what the Bible equates as lust, the selfish desires of the eyes, and the selfish desires of, the li- of this life are not of the Father. In other words, it doesn't come from God. He never gave it. He didn't create it. He didn't author it. It doesn't come from him. You're not a God who has pleasure in wickedness. Neither neither does wickedness dwell with you. In other words, there's no sin. The angels cry holy, don't they? Is that what they cry? They don't say sinful, 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 O Lord God Almighty. They say holy. Holy is clean and perfect, without blemish or flaw. 
Clean and perfect without blemish or flaw. Clean and perfect without blemish or flaw. Clean and perfect without blemish or flaw. That's what holiness means. Clean and perfect without blemish or flaw. And then say, well, you need to be holy as God's holy. We think holy is some sort of religious reverence. No, clear, holiness is clean and, clean and pure without blemish or flaw. How are we doing on that? Not real good, right? Because you can't do it. But in the spirit, you're clean and pure without blemish or flaw. But in your flesh, you are, in, you are so far from it. So we, but like the church, you know, a lot of us, we've been raised in these cultures where they think that holiness is some sort of religious piety that designates holiness. The way we dress, the way we wear our hair, that's what speaks holy. Oh, they're holy. Look at, look at the dress. Millie had a dress on that was hitting her ankles. What a holy dress you had on. Oh, Lupe, she grew her hair so long she could sit on it. How holy is she? Pastor, you need, to, you need to reverence the holiness of God by wearing a suit. It means nothing. It's all meaninglessness. We can't be holy through externals. We can't be holy in ourselves. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit in order to be holy. When Jesus says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, He's telling you, you He's trying to get you to confront the impossibility. You can't. You can't. Do you know what He's trying to do? He's trying to invoke a question which nobody asked the question. If they would have asked the question... How do I be holy? He would have answered. But because they didn't ask the question, there was no answer. Same way he works today. He'll tell you, be holy. That's it. You go, I don't know. God told me to be holy. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to be holy? Why don't you ask him, Lord, how do I be holy? And he'll tell you, you can't. So then how am I, so how am I supposed to fulfill holiness is found in me? Okay, how is holiness found in me? In my spirit. If you ask the questions and you keep marching, he'll answer you every step of the way. But he will not answer you if you don't ask. And you see it all the time. Jesus makes these crazy statements and nobody asks. Nobody asks. When they ask, he always answers. How is it possible when they asked, who could be saved? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. They're like, well, who can be saved? And he said, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. And if they would ask another question, which they should have, they should have asked another question on top of that. But they didn't. They didn't. God is always invoking questions. We're just not asking. You're created as a question. The word man means what? It comes from manna. Manna and man, human and manna, are rooted in the same Hebrew word. They're rooted in the same foundational word. Manna means what? You're created as a question. God made you to ask questions. Not of science. Not of the earth. Speak to me, earth. Not of the universe. I'm going to ask the great question to the mystery of the universe. You're created to ask questions to the God who loves you. You're created to ask questions to the Father who loves you. You're created to ask questions to the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. Ask questions. Tons of them. You don't get answers because you don't ask questions. Or you go, why? Why? Why me? Never get answered. Victim, say it with me, victim questions. Come on, victim questions. Never get answered. You're not going to get a victim answer, Christian. So stop asking, why me? You won't, he will not answer a victim question. You're asking the wrong question because he doesn't see you as a victim. His perspective of you is not a victim. So when you're like, why me? Why God? Why? Wrong question. 
You know what you get from heaven? Crickets. I've asked the Lord why, and He hasn't told me. Well, ask Him a different question and let Him answer you, because He will. You're, he's not answering because He's not, answer, he's gonna, not gonna answer that question. He will not answer those. He just won't. The angels cry holy. God did not create sin, but He'll use it for His purposes. He used the sin to bring salvation, He used the sin to demonstrate His goodness. He uses sin to separate the good from the evil, the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. So he uses it to identify right and wrong. He'll use it. He didn't create it. He uses sin to bring it to its eternal end. Sin will be ultimately destroyed. Sin will be ultimately destroyed. In eternity, at the end of the age, at the end of the current millennial, at the end of the age, God will destroy sin. We won't even, in eternity future, we will not know sin. Sin will not be found. Sin itself will be destroyed. I know that's a hard concept. He's going to ultimately destroy sin itself. Hell, devil, false prophet, the grave, all of it. He's going to destroy it all. New heavens, new earth, new order. Everything's going to be made new. Palin Genesia, he makes all things new. And we're never going to know, we're not even going to know what sin is. No more sorrow, no more tears. To wipe the tears from your eyes, no more death. It's over. Done. Death is destroyed and death is the sting of sin. Sin's product is death. So God is destroying death. Death will be destroyed, which is the product of sin. So sin will be no more. Death cannot be produ- will not be produced. You're immortal. If you're in Jesus, you're immortal. You live forever. Get happy. Get, I'm serious. You should get happy. Everybody laments getting older. Oh, I'm getting older. I'm like, I'm going to glory. I'm going to keep myself as best as I can, but I don't fear death. I don't fear age. I don't fear any of it. I know where I'm going. My only desire is to fulfill my purpose that I'm here now for now. (laughs) It's my only desire. What are you afraid of getting old for? Who cares? In the Bible, Scripture is the only thing that validates elderly people. It holds them up and esteems them. No other, nothing else esteems them. Our culture definitely doesn't esteem them. None of it. We're not esteemed. You've watched TV? Everybody's like 25 years old. They're 25 years old selling it to the 40-somethings with kids. Um, you know, because we think we're even at 40, you're like, oh, that's me. Yeah, that's me there. No, dude, you're not 25. Yeah, but I think I look like that. No, you don't look like that. It's not how you look. <laughs> you're immortal. David said, when I lamented and I asked the Lord, and, I went, and I, he said, I asked the Lord, why do the wicked prosper? God didn't answer him. Why do the wicked prosper? Why are the righteous forsaken? Crickets. But he said, I went to the house of the Lord, and I remembered my future. And I remembered their end. And I celebrated that I am eternal, and I have eternal life, and they don't. So whatever they had, so God didn't answer the why prayer, but God, David saw, David contemplated what was going on, and God showed him. It's not a result of the Lord; it's a result of sin manifesting in and through the fallen creation. We're created as all of the beings have a free moral choice. The devil holds court over sin; he holds disobedience. He is the one in authority over sin. That's why sin in the believer's life on every level has to be broken. For where there is sin, there lies the devil's authority over you. 
He works in the sons of disobedience. And we think that's people who don't receive Jesus. No, he owns all disobedience. All of it. The sins that you have done, the sins that have been done against you, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but it gives the enemy a right of manifestation in your life. It gives him a right of ownership. Visitation or habitation. That's what it does. Let's look at it this way. You're wounded. Someone has sinned against you and wounded you. That's a sin. He owns the sin. He owns the wound. Until the wound is, not, until the wound is healed, he, held, he holds court with it. That's why you dance like a puppet. That's why you act the way you act sometimes. And you look at your behavior and you go, what is wrong with me? It's because you're wounded and the enemy holds the wound and he manipulates through the wound. He holds the sins of your ancestors. He holds court over that. Your ancestors have sinned. Oh, the blood of Jesus. This is the end of the message, but I'll tell you anyway. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Yes, it does. However, it must be appropriated. Christ died for the whole world. People go, well, that doesn't make sense. Jesus died for me. I'm free from all curses. That's what people tell me. I'm like, oh, yeah. How's that working for you? Yeah, you're free from all curses? Yeah. So we can look at your life, and it's just a pure manifestation of the kingdom, right? There's no curses there. There's no enemy right. There's no ancestral rights. There's no sin rights. There's no offense rights. There's nothing there in your life, right? Nothing. I'm telling you from experience, because I practice this stuff. And I have asked the Lord to do for me what David did. Lord, search me and know me. Test and show my heart and show my mind and show me where the sin is and show me where the iniquity is. Not because I'm condemned, but because the devil, I want nothing to do with the devil. He's not going to own me. I'm going to own him because that's my right. My right of inheritance is over him. His, my right of inheritance is not him over me. And all Christians, we claim this, but you don't understand that the devil claims the sin. You don't understand it. We don't understand the art form called repentance. We think we repent one time. Or we think that repentance is, i got to come to the altar every week. That's my repentance. There's nothing to do with it. Repentance is return and change. You're carrying a wound. Let's just deal with wounds. You're carrying a wound. You have to return that wound to Jesus. And you have to allow him to change you from the wound. And that isn't going to happen through verbal. It doesn't happen like that. You cannot receive inner healing unless you go to the place of the spirit. where The wound, the wound happens in the soul. You have to, it has to be inner healed. Psychology isn't going to do it. Confession isn't going to do it. Accountability groups isn't going to do it. Memorizing scripture isn't going to do it. Only inner healing is what's going to do it. That's it. And you got more junk than you realize. One, my, I do people all the time. We do inner healing back here. So that's one of the things we do. And there's like literally five, five phases. Only do one. Do you know why? Because they do one and they're like, whoo, I feel free. I don't need anymore. And I tell them, I was like, that's only phase one, dude. There's, there's like four more to this. We've only just did one level. We didn't even get through the whole level. Yeah, but I feel better. Okay. So they take measure. I want fullness. (laughs) I want it all. I don't want the enemy to have anything on me. Nothing. And I let him speak to me however he wants to speak to me. In dreams, in visions, in word, in revelation. I assume I know nothing. And I let him tell me and I deal with what he shows me. I know it sounds crazy. This is why Christians are in bondage. Is Israel a home-born slave? Why are my people captive? Why are my people in bondage? Did I bring you into my house to make you slaves? Yet you are under slavery. Yet you are under bondage. Yet my people cannot go free. Faithless generation, how long must I bear with you? 
Because it was their children that were in bondage. And God's like, has anybody believed me? Will anybody fight for what I told them they could have? Or are you so passive as to just let the enemy... The enemy fuels on the passiveness of Christians. Fuels on it. We create doctrines and we bind ourselves and sit under teaching that will do nothing but reinforce our passivity. Because we don't want the challenge of actually confronting our junk. We don't want to be challenged. Don't you confront what's in me. I don't want to look at what's ugly. I want to stick my head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend it's not there. When your life is doing nothing but manifesting dysfunction. Just a thought. For freedom's sake, Christ makes you free. I know freedom. I live it. I hold nothing back. I'm all in. And when people go, oh, I only had it one time. Dude, I've been doing this on myself for years. Years. So when somebody says, I had one session and I'm free. Oh, okay. Keep telling yourself that. I don't even argue with them. I don't even argue. I well, enjoy the freedom that you have. You got a little freedom? That's good. That's good. Enjoy it. Have it. Me? No way. You know what happens? As you go to levels spiritually, you'll confront another level, another devil. That's what people will say. Well, what will happen is you grow and God elevates you into spiritual positions or different callings or different levels of development in relationship to him or even your identity. You will be stunted at the point where you will not confront what exists at that level. Most people get comfortable with the level they are and they want to go higher. But they can't go higher because the devil's standing at the door. There's an issue with them standing at the door that they don't want to see. They don't want to confront. I don't understand. And they want to cry and lament. And they want to go, I don't understand why this keeps happening. I don't understand. What against me? God doesn't have any issue, but the devil sure does. You're looking in the wrong direction. In the wrong direction. You start by questing. You start by, by, by looking into the things. And some of the things, some of the things that are in people's lives are five layers up. Right? And they want to deal with that. And God has to take them through four steps in order to get them to that. And they won't take the first step. They won't do the first thing. It's you love. Churches are filled with believers who are in bondage. Cross the board. Sunday morning, cross the board. In bondage. I've, I've been a part of ministry for, my whole, for a long time. Feels like my whole life. Watched it. I just got tired of the church not having answers. So you know what I did? I started saying, if this is true, then why don't we see it? And I started to press in for the answers. And God started giving me the answers. Amazing, isn't it? It's an amazing thing. But it completely tore me apart. People don't want to be torn apart. You want the answers? Problems in your paradigm. Problems probably in the way that you think or the way that you believe. You believe lies. You have to confront the lies that you believe. You have to confront the way that you think. It's a long journey, people. That's why we're on this journey. We're, we're American Christians. We want it quick and we want it easy. We want a magic bullet. We want the magic bullet. Just give me a one-shot deal. Isn't there one shot? Isn't there a prayer I could pray? Give me a one, two, three, four, Kevin. It's not a one, two, three, four. It's a process. And it is an absolute hardcore devoted, devotedness to the process. Not just inner healing, but demonic rights over you. Reminding you of sins and transgressions, omissions and commissions that you never confessed. And you think, oh, they're free in Jesus. Well, you're forgiven eternally, but that sin that's, that lies unclaimed and unrepented for remains. And the enemy claims it. 
Repentance is an art form. Repentance is a lifestyle of the believer. We treat that like it's a magic bullet. I practice repentance all the time. I live in repentance. I repent. I repent, 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 repent. (laughs) I'm wrong. Repent means to give back. Lord, the thinking that I've been holding for all of these years is wrong. I repent of the way that I have believed about you, and I give that back to you. And I receive a wisdom and a revelation and an understanding to help me shift. That's all repentance is. It's a change. It's changing. It's returning to Jesus what you have owned. Next slide. Harmatia, harmatano, categories of sin, two types of sin. We talk about this a lot here, but again, it bears repeating. It means they both rooted and push away. Harmatia is the sin nature. Say this. There's a difference between the sin nature and the actions of sin. There's a huge difference. The sin nature is the sin of condemnation. All human beings are born with a sin nature. All are born under judgment and all are condemned. The behavior of sin, and I'm going to show it to you biblically, is not the condemnation. It's the nature of sin that is the condemnation. We're born with a sin nature. That is the harmatia. Both of the words are rooted in the word push away or to move away from. One, you push away from God. The other, you push away from your destiny. Harimatia, they push away from God. This is the sin nature. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to what? Their own way. Stepped into the void. Gone our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Say this. Iniquity is sins in the bloodline. So what the Bible's telling us is that Jesus dealt with the sin in the bloodline. Whose bloodline? The bloodline of Adam. The iniquity that was carried forth in those who are descendants of Adam, and we all are until you receive Christ, the iniquity of the sin, the, the, that iniquity, that problem with the bloodline, Jesus dealt with the problem of the bloodline. The iniquity of Adam's sin that's carried forth to all humanity was laid upon him. He has dealt with the iniquity. Now you're no longer born of the earth, you're born of heaven. Your blood no longer flows through your generations, your blood flows from Jesus. You're born with royal blood. You gotta not only you gotta know that and you gotta identify with that. You gotta believe that and you gotta commit yourself to that identity. If you still think you're Cuban, you still think you're Japanese, I still think I'm Scottish, I you know that's my, that's a that's a former ancestry to me. That is not who I am. I'm born of the blood of heaven, and I let everybody know. If anyone who does not forsake mother, brother, sisters, daughters, cousins, nephews, uncles, aunts, anybody who doesn't forsake them, in other words, Get rid of your former ancestry. No longer identify with it. No longer bind yourself to it. But bind yourself to me. You're not what? Worthy. Isn't that an interesting word he uses? That is an incredibly interesting word. That is incredible. You're not worthy. You don't understand what I've done. And you don't understand who you are. You're not worthy of it. I'm offering you royalty, I'm offering you sonship, I'm offering you something beyond you, and you want to stay back here and identify with that? That's what I want to be? I don't identify with any of it. I don't want anything to do with it. Y'all can keep crazy, I'm going to the kingdom. We got crazy, we got kingdom. Which one you want? Crazy kingdom. I want kingdom, I don't want crazy So we're born of the blood of Adam. We remove ourselves from the iniquity in Christ. This is the sin of condemnation. That's why the Bible says this. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why does it say that? 
Is it possible to receive Christ, be free of condemnation, and then come back under condemnation? No, it is not. If you're born again, there is therefore now, this, is, this, this word is eternal. When it says there is therefore now no condemnation, now, 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 that is a repeating word. It is a moment-by-moment word. It is a day-by-day word. It is an hour-by-hour word. So there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, 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 no condemnation. There is now no condemnation on me, not now, not ever. The only one that condemns you is you and the devil. God does not condemn you, and you're not condemned if you're born again and you're in Christ Jesus. Simple. Simple. Hard to grasp. I come from a denomination, and I know some of you probably hold this view, that you can lose your salvation. The Bible does not teach that. It does not. I'll give you, I know the verses. I know the argument points. I, I get it. I, I don't have time to develop that or talk about that. But I do know there's a couple of verses that will say something that alludes to something that says, oh, we can lose our salvation. It's not what, it, if you, it's not what it's saying. How do I know this? Because I used to have that point of view. <laughs> I come from an Arminian, which is a... That's a type of teaching. They taught that you could lose your salvation, so you better be pure and holy. You, be, you better, you better don't, don't, don't you die coming out of that R-rated movie. Don't you get in a car wreck with Jay-Z on the radio. And I'm not suggesting going to R-rated movie, and I'm suggesting listening to Jay. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is, is that we, we put so much emphasis on external righteousness. It's either Jesus' work or it's ours. Which one is it? Did he do it or do we do it? Is it by a work of righteousness that I maintain? Or is it by a work that he did and he imparted? And he gave it. There's a lady here. She, uh, Valerie, she's healing. She prayed. Is she, she not here? Um, Marjorie. And so she prayed and she said, I just remember that Kevin said that, um, that healing will manifest regardless of me. And I said, absolutely. It's not your righteousness. The Holy Spirit will manifest through you and it has nothing to do with you. Not now, not ever. Why? Because it's yours by right of inheritance. It's a gift. It's given to you. You didn't do anything for it. You can be half drunk and half in the bag. You could completely done something entirely sinful and live an off, off kilter. And you can go and pray for people and manifest healing. I got preached to by drunks before. The anointing was on the message. <laughs> I know it's hard. You know, it's, I mean, for me, it's like when I, when I first kind of was coming around the bend, God's been bending my mind over the years completely. The way I was trained... But what he's showing me is this is why you want to know why the church is stuck. You want to know why these things don't happen. Let me show you why. And he starts to deconstruct the thinking. That's how he does it. I don't know if you all are interested in this type of stuff, but that's what he wants for you. That's where he wants you to go. He doesn't want to leave you the same. Who told you you had to be the same? Who told you the kingdom isn't yours? Who told you the power isn't yours? Who told you? Well, I feel that way because it doesn't happen. Well, have you asked the Holy Spirit? What is keeping? Where's what's missing in me? What do I not understand? You don't know that you're loved. You don't know that this is yours by right of inheritance. You don't know your authority. You don't know how to exercise your authority. You're not exercising your authority. You're not stepping in. You're not obedient. Let the Spirit of God tell you. He'll tell you. If you ask Him what's missing, what's missing, Lord? And He'll go, obedience. And then you go, obedience to what? I'll give you another one. You guys want another one? You guys okay? This is 1210 crowd. I know you all come. For the, you know, somebody said, I like the 12 o'clock because you go a little long. Okay, I'm not trying to go long. I have a clock on the wall. First service, I got a ministry director there and I got another one over there. They're both telling me, land the plane, Kevin. Look at the clock. Land the plane. Marcus is going to get a sign, he told me, like the football coach. He's going to hold up a picture with the plane landing. 
But all the pent up stuff kind of comes out in second service. <laughs> I just had the Lord show me something. And I asked the Lord, I'll make the story really short. And I heard him say to me, this is recent, because I'm always asking him questions. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to speak to me anytime, anywhere, about anything. Whatever you want to talk to me about in reference to anything that's in the way of what you want to do with me or what you want to do with my life or whatever's going on, you have permission always to talk to me. So this whole thing went on, and I kind of was like, and I started talking to the, asked the Holy Spirit, and I heard the word denial. I'm like, denial? Denial of what? What am I denying? And the Lord goes, so here's the question. And the Lord goes, destiny. And again, this is another one of these questions. I'm like, are you, I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? frustrated because I can't do what I want to do. What am I, what am I possibly denying? And I heard the Lord say, I could hear my own words coming back to me. I don't want to do this. 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 Yeah. And it was in particular, it was with inner healing and the Lord. And I, cause I keep saying, I don't want to do this. I don't, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this. I don't want to do 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 this. The Lord told me, you dishonor what I give you. You don't understand, you dishonor because you don't want to do it. You think that that's okay when I've given it to you. And he tells me a whole bunch of wonderful things on top of that. He tells me all kinds of beautiful things. And, um, and then I felt like I said, okay, so what do I do? I repent the way that I thought. I've taken ownership of my desire. So I have desire, Lord. I'm carrying my will. And I'm going to return to you my will. I'm going to repent of my desire to not do this. This is, You see how this works? It's not necessarily an action. Sometimes it's an attitude. I'm going to return to you my unwillingness. I teshuva, give it back to you. I repent of my attitude concerning this. And I receive from you the command. I receive from you the directive. I receive from you for the wisdom. And I said, what do you want me to do with it? And he began to tell me, I want you to, act, I want you to approach this more professionally. I want you to take this seriously. I don't want you to do this like out of your hip pocket. I want you to do it in a specific way. And this is how I want it done. I could never hear that command because I'm over here in denial. And the Lord's showing me something in my life. And it's a result of me denying something. I mean, I'm telling you, I practice this stuff, guys. You hear me say this all the time. I tell you different stories like this because I'm trying to get, to, I'm trying to invoke something in you. I'm trying to stir you past the point where you are, and to let him tell you you're faithless. To let him tell you you're disobedient. He didn't say you weren't loved. Just because he tells you you're disobedient, he's not telling you you're not loved. If you, that you again, I tell you this: if you suck in your thumb because he says you're disobedient. You don't know you're loved. So now that he says, Mina, you're disobedient. And if Mina runs to the corner and starts sucking her thumb and feeling sorry for herself, now the issue right now is no longer her disobedience. Now the issue is the lie that she believes that she's not loved. So God used the directive to her to reveal a greater lie that she believes that she's not loved. He showed her now. Now he's showing you. Now he sees, Mina, you're disobedient. And your part of your disobedience is rooted in the fact that you don't really know you're loved. Or you feel rejected. Or you feel unaccepted. That's what he's doing. I'm on. This is, this is the gospel on an entirely different stratosphere. Okay? This is, this is kingdom power. In breaking kingdom power. Manifesting his world into ours. Which is what we're called to do. I want. It first begins with you. 
So if I can't manifest the kingdom into my life, it's virtually impossible for me to manifest it any other way, anywhere else. I want consistency, and I want 100%. That's what I'm believing God for. 100%. Before you tell when I go to mountain, when it's on, it's on, and it's there. 100%. And I believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. Let God show you. Let Him challenge you. Sins of omission. So harmatana was the, is the sin of condemnation. Harmatana was the sin of omission, commission, and transgression and iniquity. So that's a different type of sin than the sin, of, than the sin nature. Christ forgives us of the sin nature, but we have to repent for these sins. You've repented of your sin nature. You've come back to Jesus. My sin nature is my selfish lordship. I'm over here in the void myself. So my sin nature is coming out of the void. I return to you, Jesus. I give you back my sin nature and I call you Lord. I'm not. Your sin nature is removed. Now you're a new creation in Christ. That deals with the sin nature. But it doesn't deal with the other sins. It doesn't deal with it. Those sins, oftentimes unrepented sins, have an effect on your life. Whatever the Holy Spirit shows you, repent. Repent. If He shows you your attitude is wrong, question Him, ask Him questions, let Him deal with you. Accept it and ask Him, what do you want? Okay, repentance is given, but what do I do? You were really off on that, what do I do? And He'll tell you. He'll tell you what's acceptable to Him. This is a communal, communal relationship. My sheep hear my voice. We were led by the Spirit of God. God led them out of the wilderness and they were to be led by the voice of God. God's intention from the very beginning is that His people be led by His voice. And His voice is in the Spirit. It's God's intention for you. You have to deal with sins of omission. Some things that... So, an omission sin is I sin against Mina. I'm going to use you, Mina, because you're right there in front of me. And I sin against Mina, but I didn't know I did it. I, I, I did something... I, you know, I heard her in some way, but I'm completely unaware of it. And she brings it to me and says, Kevin, you know, you did this and it really hurt me. And I feel really wounded by what you did because I hurt her because I sinned against her. And then I go, well, I didn't mean to do it, Mina. So just get over it. No, that's not the attitude because I did it unknowingly, but I still did it. It's an omitted sin. So then I say, you know what? You're right. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I was completely unaware of it. I didn't mean to do that. But please forgive me. Boom. That's how you deal with omission. We have omitted sins with, with Jesus all the time. We commit omitted sins with the Lord all the time. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to come to church. These times of ignorance, the Lord overlooks. But now commands everywhere to repent. Your times of ignorance, he's overlooked. But once you know he expects you to be before him, your ignorance is gone. And now he expects you to do what he told you to do. <laughs> Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is for discipleship, people. This isn't, well, I'm in a good mood today. I'll go to church. Or I'm really struggling with something. I'll go to church. No, my father expects me to come before him. It's what he wants. I didn't know he wanted that, but he does want it. He, most of the time, church is, church is not so much about you as it about him. You come to honor him. And when you honor him, honor creates access and God meets you there. Because we think it's so much about us. It's, again, our narcissism. Christian narcissism. My wife and I were having this conversation. I was telling her. I said, you know, we've got to be careful. Because she was talking to me about something. And she's like, oh, yeah, everybody just wants to get whacked. And I said, it's not about people getting whacked in the spirit. That's again, that's a narcissistic view that the believer has. We think it's all about us. If you get whacked in the spirit or you get an encounter in the spirit, that encounter is for a purpose. It is for something transformational in your life 
so that it can be transferred to someone else. It's not just for you to have this glowing experience. Woo, I just got whacked. We got to grow up past the way that we think. We think we think in such narcissistic terms that everything's about us. That's still you're still in a form of self-worship. We omit people. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to tithe. Well, now you do. These times of ignorance got overlooked. Now you're supposed to repent. I didn't know I was supposed to be biblically literate. Well, now you do. You're supposed to know your Bible. It doesn't mean you're supposed to be a theologian. But you should have a working knowledge of the Scripture. People think, well, that's the pastor's job. Your, your job is to know the Bible. You just wing it at us every week. That's not, that's not, that's not my job. <laughs> it's partly I'm supposed to be literate, but so are the people. Big, biblically literate. I didn't know I was supposed to tell other people about Jesus. Well, now you do. It's a sin of omission. We sin against the Lord in our disobedience, and people go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Next slide. Then there's sins of commission, which means you're partnering with the process. You want to do it. I talked about repentance. Jesus will forgive. Here's one. I'll give you this one. Confession of sins one to the other, as we often describe it, it's important to make. So let's just play it like this and tell me if this actually works. Anybody ever been to a confession group? You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? We used to have these. And we stopped doing them as church, not this church, but the church generally. Used, we used to have confession groups, accountability groups, we'd call them, where we'd all come together and once a week we'd all confess our sins to each other. What's funny about that, but as the weeks go on, those groups get smaller and smaller and smaller. It's funny about that. Something funny about that. But the church stopped doing it because they realized it doesn't work. Because it looks like this. Okay, we're all together. There's four of us. There's four guys. Okay, I'll go first. Man, what are you struggling with, brother? Oh, man, I'm struggling with lust, man. You guys need to pray for me. I'm just really struggling with lust. Next guy goes, whoa, man, I'm struggling with alcohol. I can't stop drinking. You know, you guys have one or two beers, man. I drank 12. I'm really struggling with drinking. Next guy goes, man, I'm struggling with lying. I don't know why, but I keep lying. I can't tell the truth. These lies just keep coming out of me. And the fourth guy's sitting there and he's not quiet. And they go, well, what do you struggle with, Bill? And Bill goes, well, to tell you the truth, I struggle with gossip. And I can't wait to get on my cell phone. So, you know, this is what happens in these groups is that we, be, and then every, nobody wants, and then we get these, they don't work. When the Bible's saying confess your sins one to another, it looks like, well, I wounded Mina. Matthew 18 says, if she's offended, she's supposed to come to me. Mina comes to me and says, you've wounded me, you've hurted me, you've sinned against me. My responsibility is to confess that's indeed what happened, Mina. I'm sorry, would you pray for me and let's, let's pray together or whatever. Let's let the healing of the relationship happen. That's what it means. When she comes to me, she's supposed to come to me. If I've wounded her, Matthew 18 says the offended goes to find the other one. So she comes to me and says, hey, you hurt me. I said, oh, wow, I have. Let me confess that to you. I have hurt you. I have said that. That is what I did. I didn't mean to do it. I was completely blindsided. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's let the relationship be healed. That's the idea of the confession. It's the confession booth and the confession groups never work. If, they, if that was what that verse was saying, then we, this stuff would work. But it doesn't work. Doesn't work. Anybody ever had those things happen? I don't know if you've been. You ever been in those? We used to have those groups. You guys would be confessing, and they'd be like, "Well, brother, you know." Meanwhile, this guy's dumping his guts, and the leader's probably got some junk in his closet, but he's acting like he's spiritually superior to the entire group. And it's like, okay, so you you don't have any issues at all. There's nothing you're struggling with at all. And then everybody would do the confession. 
And then they'd look at you and go, oh, wow, can you believe what Brother Steve said in the group today? Wow. I wonder if his wife knows he's struggling with that. I don't know. We should tell the pastor. I think this is a problem. And they turn into gossip groups. That's what they do. They're, they're gossip groups. They're not, they're not confessional groups. They're not rest- restorative groups. Transgression is a violation of boundaries. So a commission is you intentionally did it. So, the, oh, no mission. I'm going to use Mina again. I did something I didn't know. I was just completely oblivious. A commission, I can commit a sin against myself or I can commit a sin against her. I can go, I know I shouldn't do this. And I know this is probably going to hurt her, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's committed. I partnered with that. I made the decision to do it. Right? So we commit sins. Well, God told me not to do it, but I did. I'm like, I don't care. I'm doing anyway. And it anyway. That's commission. Omission is I didn't know. Commission is I did know. Transgression is the violation of boundaries. So again, Mina and I are there, whatever. She says, I'm comfortable with this, Kevin. Don't violate. But I violate the boundary. Or somebody violates your boundary. Somebody gossips about you. Somebody betrays you. Somebody's dishonest with you. They didn't do it directly to you. They did it over here, but they violated the boundary of the relationship. You understand? Betrayal is a violation of the boundary. Oftentimes, I know this is an uncomfortable subject. We have to talk about it nonetheless. Sometimes in a brokenness within a marriage, the, the, the wife may feel emotionally violated because the husband is feeling is having a deep conversation with the secretary. Or the husband may feel, uh, may feel the marriage is violated because the... You know, the wife is spending too much time with so-and-so or whatever. You know, that, that may be there. But, and then the person goes, how could you treat me like this? How could you be so inconsiderate? Well, the truth is, he or she is not thinking about you. They're not. So they're not committing a sin against you. They're not going, ooh, I'm going to do this to get back at her. Or, ooh, I'm going to do this to get back at him. They're not committing a sin. They're just violating the boundary that is upon the, upon the relationship. It's a transgression, but it's a sin nonetheless. And it needs to be confessed and acknowledged as such. Are you guys understanding this? I know I'm talking really fast. So, uh, transgression is a violation of the boundaries. People b- violate you. And you say, well, they didn't really do anything to me. Yeah, they did. Violated you as a person. They spoke against you. They betrayed you. I didn't really do anything to them. Yeah, you did. You violated them as a person. You violated the boundary of the relationship that was established. We do it spiritually. Prophetic word. We see this a lot with prophetic. God gives you a word. You give the person a prophetic word. And then you go, let me give you an interpretation. You're violating the boundary. Or he tells you to say this and you say all this. You violated the boundary. You know, there's violations of boundaries. Spiritually, we do it too. We do, th- we do this a lot. Important to understand these last slide. I got two more and we're done. Two small ones. Oh, this is a big one. Iniquity is sins in your bloodline. It's just a huge cause of a lot of things that are going on in your family, a lot of things that are going on in your life, stuff that you're blindsided by that you just can't see. I just had a lady tell me because I shared the story of masonry and I said I, I just over the holidays I had someone show me a certificate of masonry and um, how their father was a mason. They didn't even know what it was. I said, well, it says that your father was a mason, 32nd degree. And she didn't believe me. And um, I didn't say all this to her, but I told Sherry, I said, well, she, she has two boys and she has the penalty for breaking masonry is that your tongue is removed or you're disemboweled. That's, that's, you sign a blood covenant day one. Your blood brothers. You're, you make a blood covenant with the Masons day one. 
That's how you do it. Boom. You're by, but they don't teach you their worshipful practices until you get to 19 to 32. And when you hit 32, you're a worshipful master. And there's only one 33rd degree mason in every sort of, I don't even want to call them a temple, but whatever they are. The, so whenever, so they, they, they do that. And so this woman whose grandfather is a 32nd degree mason or father, whatever, she has a boy who won't talk to her. His tongue's, you know, there it is, the muteness of the relationship. And her other son has had a good third of his intestines removed. And I just shared that story. I had a, someone come up to me last service and said, my father was a, was a mason and he had almost 30% of his intestines removed from diversticulitis. I said, yeah, it's curses, people. It's iniquities. It's sins in the bloodline. When you bind yourself to these things, the devil claims a right. He claims a right against you. Some of you have santeria in your background. It needs to be acknowledged, repented, and renounced, and severed. This is Miami. Throw a rock, and you're going to hit a santaro. I mean, it's everywhere. You guys, uh, what are they, botanicas? I used to live on a, I drive down the street, there were six botanicas on 79th Street. I used to have to drive up 79th Street. I lived in Miami Shores, and I'd go up to the highway up on 79th Street. Six botanicas. Botanicas, the ones that sell chickens and all the stuff you need for Santeria. Six of them on one road. Go to Orlando, you might find one. In, or, you know, certain areas of our country, you won't find any. But here... Culturally speaking, we have to deal with these issues. We have to deal with sins in the bloodline. Altars in blood speak. If your family has false worship in it, there's an altar. That altar is speaking against you. The altar speaks. I'm a Christian. It needs to be repented, renounced, and rejected, released. I don't believe that. Okay. Keep crazy. Iniquity in the bloodline, things that are issues within your bloodline, like murder, suicide, uh, you know, diseases, sickness, patterns of such things are a result of something. That's an indicator that something, there's an iniquity in the ancestral line. These are sins that speak against Christians. The devil doesn't manifest if there's an ancestral sin in your family. He's not manifesting through the non-believing siblings. He's going to manifest through the Christian. Mark it down. So you're a believer and your other siblings aren't, but there's something ancestral and he's going to come through you. He has a right of manifesting up to the third and fourth generation. Generating ancestral sins to the third and fourth. Well, I'm not, I'm not in that. I'm a Christian now. Again, you, are you hearing what I'm telling you? This is why, again, we have such grand, tremendous bondages in the church. We have such tremendous bondages in, the, in Christianity. There are bondages that exist because of these things. Pastors don't want to talk about it. First of all, they don't even want to acknowledge it. Second of all, they don't want to even look at it. Lastly, they most definitely don't want to teach it. Because it gets ugly, it gets messy, people feel uncomfortable. We don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. God forbid. I mean, it's your job, man. Our job is to proclaim the kingdom. For freedom's sake, Christ made you free. You know, he's calling you unto freedom, looking at your life. Where's the issues? Where are the issues? Is there issues in my bloodline, Father? Is there issues with me? What is it with my ancestors? Why is this here? Why is this there? I see crazy things sometimes. My wife is the one who hears it all, but... Because I'm asking, she's like, why do you think you see what you see? Or God shows you this stuff that you see? I'm like, because I ask him. And I'm willing to receive it. And I'm not willing to reject it when he shows me. 
just that simple. I don't reject it when he shows me. I don't understand everything he tells me or he shows me, but I'm willing to receive it. What do you got to do? So here's your homework. Last thing. (sighs) Say this. Where there is no challenge. Oh, you guys don't sound too enthusiastic. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Sin must be acknowledged. Sin must be brought under atonement. Verbal, open repentance. Open your mouth. You have to say it with your mouth. Restoration is possible. Restoration, is, restoration when and if possible, must be given. This is when you sin against someone. But let me give you your homework. So your homework is this. Your homework, I think it's Psalm 134. The Lord will examine you. And you just ask the Lord. Lord, are there any areas of my life where I am committing sin against you in, in omission? Is there anything that I'm doing unknowingly that's causing a breach in the relationship or giving the enemy territory? I'm giving you some homework. This is what you need to do, right? What's causing the breach? You're denying, Kevin. What am I denying? You see, that's the point. I ask these questions. You're going to ask, is there any sins of omission that I have towards you? Are there any sins of omission that I have towards others? Are there any sins of commission that I have towards you unconfessed? Are there any sins of commission that I have towards anyone else? Are there any transgressions that I have towards another? Are there any transgressions that I have towards you? Have I violated your boundaries in any way? Have I violated the boundaries of another? Have I willfully hurt someone? Have I willfully wounded you? We can wound the Lord. I don't know if you know that. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. He can be hurt. You can wound Him. Right? Ask these questions. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Then you're going to ask the question, Is there, Lord, where is the undealt with iniquity in my bloodline? Where is the undealt with iniquity in my ancestry? It's your former ancestry, but nonetheless, the enemy will claim it until it's renounced. Renouncing is the eviction notice. You can't claim that anymore. I'm serving you notice. I'm invoking my right. The enemy holds the right over you by default because you have yet to claim it. We think that if we claim Jesus... This is how moronic we are. Well, I claim Jesus, therefore Jesus just does it all for me. No, he doesn't. When they entered the promised land, they had to go in and root out the enemy one by one. Those things were given to us, the Bible says, as an example. We're not going to go and possess a promised land that's physical, but we are going to possess a promised land that is spiritual. And we're going to have to root out the enemy one by one. We're going to have to find these things. Omission, commission, transgressions. We ask the Lord, let Him show you what's undealt with, and then ask Him to have a, and let Him do it. And then you just say this with me repent, renounce, release. You want me to give you a practice run on that? Anybody want to show you that? Anybody? Okay, all right, well, we'll do it anyway. I got about four of you, that's okay. Let's, uh, so let's just pick. Uh, throw me something. What's this in? Fear? What? What is it? Fear of man. Holy Spirit shows you. you, have, you have, you're, you're, you're more afraid of people than you are of me. You say, just say it with me. Lord, I renounce the fear of man. I break covenant with the fear of man. I repent for ever making agreement or ever taking, making covenant or ever taking comfort in the fear of man. I resever all inherited ties associated with the fear of man. And in the name of Jesus, I go free and I command any spirits associated with the fear of man 
and all of their kind to lift right now in Jesus' name. It's very simple. The principle is repent, renounce, renounce, repent, renounce. You're renouncing it. In other words, you're telling spirit, time, and space, I have no covenant with you. You're repenting. People have, they, they, you know, you're repenting for what? For making an agreement with, I'm not loved. Don't tell me you haven't made an agreement with, I'm not loved. Don't tell me you haven't made a covenant with, I'm not loved. Some people get down in a warm blanket and a cocoa and just want to sit there and watch movies because they don't feel loved. Nobody loves me. You've taken comfort in not being loved. You've taken, you've bought into the lie that you're not loved. You have to repent the lie that, ever, that you ever agreed with that said you weren't loved. You have to renounce the lie that you agreed with that ever said you weren't loved. You have to repent of all the covenants and the agreements with that, that are associated with it. And then you have to sever all inheritances. Everything that's flowing into your life as a result of those covenants and agreements. It's very simple. And all you're doing is appropriating the atonement. That's all you're doing. You're not, you're not doing anything that isn't already yours. It's yours by right. Freedom belongs to you. The enemy has no right over the believer. Repentance sets you free instantly, quickly, very, very quickly. It's through repentance. The enemy spends years binding you. And Jesus goes, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. How many years has this man been bound? 30 years? Take up your bed and walk. It's like that. Your sins are forgiven. He's released from his bondage, which is easier to say. Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. But that's essentially what he's saying. The forgiveness of sins. So ultimately, sin had put that guy in that position. So, anyway. Did you get anything out of this? Yes? Do your homework, Christian. Do your homework. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say this. I can trust. Oh, come on. Say it. I can trust the Holy Spirit. He will not hurt me. I want you to say this. Jesus is the kindest person I have ever met. His Spirit invokes His kindness to me. The Holy Spirit will never harm me. He'll never harm you. Anything He tells you, He tells you to help you. That's all He does. That's all He does. He's trying to draw you out of yourself. He's trying to draw you into something beyond that what, you, what you think you are. That's what He's really trying to do. Holy Spirit's job is to manifest what Jesus fully paid for. That's why He's constantly pulling on you. Because it's like the Lord paid for this with blood. Why do you settle for so less? The Lord paid for your freedom with blood. Why do you stand in bondage? Why do you tolerate the bondage that you live in? Why do you stand for this? And we teach confession and we teach cognitive belief, but we don't teach repentance. And we don't teach healing. We say, well, I just need to say this and I just need to say that. And you know, yeah, but you need to repent too. Repentance is required in most instances. Attitudes, actions, lies... We believe lies. God will never work for me. Who told you that? God doesn't love me. I'll never succeed. Who told you that? These are lies. I just need to accept the way that I am. Who told you that? Those are all lies. You make a covenant with a lie, and the devil says, it's, it's... Anyway, so Jesus loves you. He wants to make you free. So let me bless you.